He's a preaching machine. Jason is just one of the best people that I know. He's gifted, he's talented, but most, most importantly, he's anointed by God. He's here because God has laid something on his heart. So I ask you to find your place, sit down, put a hat on your head, dial in, and welcome to the stage, Jason Ostrandler. morning. First John 5, 14 says that I can have a confidence in God. And the confidence that I can have in God is this, that if I ask anything according to his will, he hears it. Which, by the way, stands the reason that I could ask things outside of his will, and he doesn't hear those things. But if he hears it, the next verse says, not only does he hear it, but we have it. So, we're gonna dive into the word, you already have been. I can't separate the will of God from the word of God. So what I have to do is I have to try to, to hope that, like that double-edged sword thing that it can do, that the word of God changes you. I mean, if any of us were stuck with a sword today, it would change our life, right? If I came by with a knife and put it in your side, you'd have a very different day than you would have had if I didn't do that. The Word of God, every time it meets us, is not something that's just supposed to get a head nod or a golf clap, and then all of a sudden we move on with our day. No. We should be unable to move forward in life after meeting the Word and the will of God because it supersedes and goes over top of everything and through everything that we've designed. Every hope, aspiration we have pales in comparison to what God wants for us. So we're going to do something here right at the beginning. If you would, please. I would like for us to pray over each other, that we're now ready to hear. That, that we would pray that the will of God would be evident in this space and that you wouldn't miss it. <laughs> that you would grow in confidence with God because of the word of God being presented. So get close to the person next to you. Find out who you're going to pray for. Pray out loud. They're going to pray over you and you're going to pray over them. It's not long. It's just asking for the will of God to be present in their life right now. Now, for those of you that struggle with praying over each other, praying for other people, one word of advice, get over it. Because that's who we are, right? We're a praying people. We have direct access to a God who loves us, adores us, has sent his only son to die for us, and yet we be silent. <laughs> Don't do it. Request, beg for, demand his will in your life for the next 45 minutes, for the next hour, the next five hours, the next day, next week. It's the only thing we should be seeking. If it's really all about Jesus, like we all just said, with our hearts, hands raised, then this is the access <laughs> to get to that thing that this is apparently all about. So let's pray over each other real quick, and I'll interrupt you in a minute. So go ahead, pray for the will of God evident in each other's lives this morning. Father, we pray that your position in our lives is one of always leaning into us and that we would want to lean back into you. There's so many things in this world that we could lean into. Tons, millions of things on any given day. And the psalmist writes that, 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 that all of that, <laughs> it passes by. That the light of what we should be accomplishing and seeking and wanting to attain is your glory and grace, not our own and not the, that of the world. So ask now, Lord, for you to be evident 
to reveal yourself. You are a revealing God. You are not kept alone in a closet, way off in a corner of a universe somewhere. You are close enough right now to be concerned as you're spinning galaxies with your left hand. With your right hand, you want to know what I'm going to be doing right now, tomorrow, the next day, who I want to be, where I want to go, what job do I want to take on, what person should I date, which, 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 where should I live with my life, what job, all of it. You want to know those things, and that baffles me. How beautiful, though. How beautiful. So, Lord, meet us this morning and teach us something new, something that we didn't know about you. Reveal to us now. Because your word is better than ours. Your truth is more true than mine. Your love is more loving than my love. Your joy is more filled than I could ever imagine. And that's what I want. That's what we cry for. In your name we pray. Amen. In John 17, we have a really unique opportunity to kind of have a, a peek into the life of Jesus Christ. John 17 is the prayer in the garden, if you know anything about that. This is, you know, days, weeks before Jesus is going to be led to the cross. He understands the weight of what is in front of him. And so he takes time. By the way, we should all take a cue from this, right? When there's something heavy in our lives, when there's something that's weighing us down, we should take time to be alone with God to reveal our insecurities, and our, and, our, and, our, and our inabilities. Because what Jesus does in the garden is he actually says, I'm probably not going to be able to do this. As a matter of fact, if you could just take this away from me, I'd rather not do it. Look at what he's doing. Sometimes we think we come to prayer. What we have to bring is all of our first fruits, all of our best. And here they are. Jesus didn't do that. He said, I'm probably not the guy to be going to the cross. And then in a moment of understanding the Father, he says, but your will not mine. Jesus prays for three groups of people in John 17. First, he prays for himself, which is a cue, again, we should take. It's not selfish to pray for yourself. Jesus did it, and if he did it, we can follow suit. Secondly, he prays for his 12 best friends, the disciples. They were no longer at this moment the, 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 the teacher, or the rabbi, and the disciples following and getting the dust from his sandals. They had experienced everything the last three years together. They were his best friends. He loved them, and they loved him, and he knew what they were going to endure in his absence. And then finally, the final group of people that Jesus prays for in John 17 in the garden is you and me. I spent a majority of my Christian life, and I grew up in the church. I was a youth ministry junkie. I, I was, I've been to creation as a kid. I've been able to be here for the last 10, 12 years. I spent the majority of my Christian life not knowing that the last prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden was for me. I just thought it was about people that were way more important than I was. <laughs> people that went to church more than I did. People that understood the Bible and had it memorized and could name every book of the Bible in order from Old Testament through to the New Testament. Those are the people that Jesus is praying for. Not me, a wayward, wondering about Jesus, wondering about my own life, young man. But it stands to reason that if Jesus is going to ask for something from us, if he prays for something for us, it should be the very thing that we pursue, Right? If he says, my last prayer is going to be for all the people sitting in the grass and Jason on stage in creation in 2022, and this is what I want of them. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is that Jesus wants more than anything out of us? Tithes, offering, church membership, baptism. Oh, all great things. Not what he mentions. Go to church every Sunday, don't miss. Make sure you go to every Christian music festival you can. Raise your hands high enough, but not too high. Nope, not what he said. Let's see what he said. 
In John 17, beginning in verse 20, Jesus says, My prayer is not for the disciples alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. We believe in Jesus Christ because the message was carried through the disciples, through the first, second, third century churches, all the way through the organization of church leadership structures, the factions of different memberships and everything. Then here we are right now because the disciples carried a message. He's praying for me. He's praying for you. And he prays that all of them may be one. Oneness is interesting. I can look out right now, and I can tell we're not all one. <laughs> we don't look the same. We don't dress the same. We don't talk the same. We don't act the same. What is this oneness that he's talking about? Is it that we should all be in church, that we, the Christians should be Christian-like? He goes further, though, to explain that this oneness has really nothing to do with us. Because after he talks about us on oneness, he then turns to the Father and he says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they, people of creation 2022, also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now listen, what I just said on a daily, moment-by-moment -moment basis should absolutely blow our minds. It should. If I walked around and I asked any Christian... Anybody here? And I said, tell me what you think is the greatest thing Jesus Christ ever did for you. You're probably going to say he died on the cross for my sins. It's a true story. But understand that what Jesus is asking for in the garden prior to the death, burial, and resurrection is exactly everything that we need. The work of the cross was an unbelievable way to promote and to present the love of God. But what Jesus asked for in John 17, it's done, finished. Don't need the rest of the Bible, to be honest. He says, Father... I want all of them to be with you, just like I'm with you. Think about what you think the access of Jesus Christ to the Father was. How amazing it was to be moved by the Father, to be able to heal because the, word, because the, the power of the Father is on you. Think about who Jesus is and his relationship with the Father in heaven. And now ask ourselves, do we feel like we have that same relationship with God? My answer is no, I don't. I don't always feel like I have access to the Father, that he is rushing my life, pushing me through the spaces. The Spirit of God is moving, and I'm trying to catch up to it. Jesus is compelling me to do things that I would irrationally never do in my life, like give somebody money. Well, I don't even know why I would give them money, or offer someone a hand, or love someone that seriously is hard to love. But if we don't have access to the Father like Jesus does, here's a true statement. It's not, our, it's not his fault. It's ours. Because Jesus asked for it. He asked for this beautiful, dynamic relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? The Trinity. The Trinity for me growing up was something that I thought was like for really old people with long white beards. That they would some one day understand this concept of the Trinity. Now, I don't mean to demean it, but I want to try to give you the best explanation I have for the Trinity. First, let's start with the focal point. And that is Jesus. Because without his work, without what he asked for, we would have no access. We would have no, we would have no relevance to God other than that we were created by him and loved by him, but we wouldn't have access to him. Jesus Christ clears the way that we get access to all the things that God is. Paul writes, we now have immeasurably more than we can comprehend. We have the fullness of who God is in us. Father in heaven, the creator of the universe, 
The one whom the Psalms say looked down upon us and considers all of our ways, which again should blow our minds, that God considers my ways. He's not just watching my way saying, oh, shouldn't have done that. Oh, I'm glad he did that. That was good. No, he is involved in my life, considering every decision I'm making and why I'm making them. Not there to tell me I did it wrong, but there to be with me while I'm doing it wrong. And then you have the Spirit of God. Now, the Spirit of God is interesting. I could probably get 295 different opinions on who the Spirit of God is right now. The Spirit of God is probably single-handedly most responsible for splitting up churches. <laughs> people say, I don't like the way they look at the Spirit. Let's start this church over here. This is the way I like my Spirit. Other people say, and I for a long time went to a church that I would say was grieving the Spirit, never even talked about it, didn't know that I could have a life led by that Spirit, let alone that it existed. The Spirit of God is like a set of windshield wipers on your car. Doesn't seem demeaning at first. Well, it kind of seems demeaning. It's not demeaning. Have you ever tried to drive a car in pouring rain without windshield wipers or bad windshield wipers and you have to pull over because you can't focus on anything? You can't see anything? You can spend $100,000 on a brand new car right now and I'll tell you the two most important things are the left and the right windshield wiper. Because you don't have those things on your car, you ain't driving it. Only on days like today, maybe. But the windshield wipers on a car are very interesting. As valuable as they are, they don't want to be focused on. In fact, if you do focus on a windshield wiper while it's working, you will kill hundreds of people on this planet. <laughs> don't do it. Know that it's there. And now you're going to start thinking about your windshield wipers, right? Next time you watch it, I shouldn't watch them. No, no, just look through. No, no, I want to see. No, just look through. I want to watch it. No, look through it. The Spirit of God is like windshield wipers in our life. It clears our vision. So in this life, when we look forward, we see Jesus Christ alone. That's his role. However he's going to do it, whenever, wherever, with however much money, or whatever part of this planet you're going to be on. He wants us to see Jesus. He doesn't want himself to be identified or ignored. Just keep clearing the way. So here's how the beautiful dance of the Trinity works. Follow me for a second. The Spirit of God is given to us to clear our vision in this life. So that when we look forward, we see Jesus only. And guess what happens when we see Jesus? He's not going, hey, check me out, I'm Jesus. I died for your sins. I actually walked on water. No, he's pointing to the Father. And we look at Jesus, he points to the Father, we look to the Father, and we say, where will our help come from? And God, in his loving, infinite love, sends the Spirit of God in our lives to clear our vision so that we can see Jesus, who's pointing to the Father. And when we need him in times of help or great need or of joy, we say, what do I do now? He says, the Spirit of God will show you. And when you look, you see Jesus. And that idea of Jesus pointing to the Father, the Father giving us the Spirit, Spirit clearing our vision, is going on over your head right now. It's a beautiful and blessed dance. The kind of dancing where you don't know where one thing ends and one begins. It's so good, it's so synchronized, it's so beautiful, it's so rehearsed. The relationship of the Trinity is not something that I had to do anything to achieve. Because Jesus in the garden right here said, let them come into the dance just like we're dancing right now. If you're not dancing with God, it's not his fault. It's ours. The work of the cross, the redemptive work of him coming out of the grave and proving to everyone that his father was right and that he is the savior of the world was a piece of this. But John 17 says, I get to dance. When I was growing up in the Christian world and I come to things like this, I'm like, man, I haven't been good this year. So I'm probably pretty far from the dance. But if I go forward in this life and I get closer to the dance, I can jump into the dance. What I didn't realize and what many of us might not know is that I'm in the dance right now. I'm there. 
I might be standing there not knowing what's going on and everything's dancing around me, but I am in the dance. I'm not going to it. I'm always with it because of Jesus. Now, here's something that is interesting to me. When you take this idea of dancing with the Trinity, if you take this idea of being called into that space and you're living a life according to Jesus, he's going to show you things that are going to blow your mind. He's going to use other brothers and sisters to do that. He's going to use festivals like this to do that. Beautiful singing, moments of sure joy and worship-filled adoration of our creator God. It's going to all be a part of it. But if you draw near to Jesus, I guarantee you, you're going to be surprised. And I think a lot of people did. I think a lot of people drew near to Jesus, and when they got there, they're like, whoa, this isn't what I expected. The Pharisees, of course, right? Because they wanted him to act in a completely different manner than he was acting, and they didn't like his actions so much that they said the only way to deal with this is to kill this guy. That's the only way we can do away with him, because I don't like what he's saying, I don't like how he's saying it, and it goes against everything I know to be godly. We do the same thing. We do the same thing in this life. I do, for sure. I bring my own thoughts and opinions into the Word of God on a daily basis. I bring my own plan, my own assumptions, and I bring it in. Which is why at the beginning we prayed that all that would be gone and we could just hear from Him and get His will only. Because any time in this world not spent, if you spend any time in this world not chasing the will of God, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. You're pursuing your own thing. Or maybe somebody else's thing. By the way, the will of God, as Jesus puts it in the book of John, is this. That everyone that would look on the face of Jesus would be saved. His will is not about you. The oneness is not about us. We are one because of who we're looking at. And if all of us are looking at the same person, Jesus Christ, we're one. You could do it in Africa. You could do it in Latin America. You can do it up in Canada. If you live in Antarctica, you could do it. As long as you're looking at him, we're, we're doing what he wants. But we get off. We start focusing on things like the church. Festivals, our lives, money, music, attention, social media, all these things, by the way, slowly and quietly draw us away from oneness. I said this to somebody this morning. I walked into an event and I spoke and this guy comes up to me. I've never been there before. He walks up to me and he goes, man, I know you. Where have I seen you? I, I I assumed it was at something like this. I started listening off a bunch of conferences and festivals. He's like, nope, 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 nope. And then I said, all right, I got to go. I got to speak. Uh, if, you, if you find out where we know each other, come find me afterwards. He comes running up to me immediately after the message. And he's like, I know where I know you from. And I was like, ready to hear this. I was like, yeah, tell me. He's like, bro, we share the same spirit. <laughs> oh, I just dropped onto the floor into a pile of clothes. I could have gone to heaven right then and there. Because the deal is, is he recognized something that we don't always recognize. That we share the same spirit. And sometimes we poke at it and look at it differently, but it doesn't change it. The church doesn't change God. And your opinion of a Bible study that you want to throw your own assumptions in doesn't change God. We might look at it and go, man, I can't believe they would say that. You know what God doesn't do? Oh, that's going to change my credibility all over the world. No. His truth is long-standing. One quick story of Jesus to showcase what I mean by how we need to be if we draw into who Jesus is. It's the story of the widow's mites. In Mark, chapter 12, beginning in verse 41, there's a very small story. 
a very small story that if you're just reading it, you, you kind of look at it, you kind of understand what's going on, and you go, oh, this is about this old lady who didn't have a lot to give, but she came in and she gave these two pennies. And Jesus kind of said, hey, that was cool. It's more than that. In fact, the more you dig into this story, there's very few times, by the way, that Jesus is with his disciples, and then he comes over to everybody, and he says, hey, disciples, sit down right here real quick. I want you to watch. This is a teaching moment. Jesus is having a teaching moment right now. I want you to see what's about to take place in front of you. So they all sit down. They're eager because they love to learn from Jesus. And Jesus has them sitting down in front of the temple treasury where many, many people from long away, from many different socioeconomic statuses, bring bags of money because it's time to give money to the temple. And Jesus is there, and there's a casual and normal progression of people walking, dropping off big piles of money. Big piles of money, and the money starts to build up into this pile. And as it's building up, everybody is astounded by all the great money that's coming in. And then Jesus doesn't care about any of that, by the way. He doesn't say, hold off, check this out. But as soon as the little old lady from back behind the curtain comes through, he says, stop, and watch what happens next. Here comes this little old lady. She gets in line, right, with all the big money givers. She's got her little coin purse in my mind. This is how it looks. And she's shuffling. And as she's shuffling, she gets up to the space. It's her turn next. People behind her are carrying big money. Say, hey, hustle up, lady. We want to get this money down. And she pulls out these two little pennies, and she drops them into the pile. See, do you see the image? The image of those two pennies, as soon as it hits the pile, they disappear. You can't find them again. Now, Jesus takes this moment in a beautiful way and he says, all right, listen, I'm going to teach you what I saw here so that you can see it. If you want to live like me and you want to understand this world like I understand it, then you have to get this concept. All of these people, Jesus says, out of their abundance of wealth gave. But this woman, who had barely anything to live on, she gave everything that she had. She gave out of her poverty. Now, I've heard this message preached a thousand times. And at the end of it, someone goes, and now it's time for you to give it all. <laughs> well, if this widow can do it, I got to do it. This is not about giving everything. Mathematically, yes, I will go with you. That if I have a million dollars and I give you a thousand, I gave you a lot of money. But I didn't give you 100% of my money. If I have two pennies and I give you those two pennies, I gave you everything I had. But that's still not what this is about. There's one small word in this that is often mislooked. It's the word Poverty. Giving in the Christian world of money and of ourselves and of our talents is backwards. Skimming off the top 10% so that I have 90% more to live off of, right? Making sure that I, he gets his and everybody else gets theirs. You know what Jesus wants us to do? Don't give me anything out of your wealth. Find the things that you're poor at. That's what I want to do with you. But I'm a really good guitar player. I should be playing worship. My excellence is what is demanded. I'm a good communicator. The excellence is what I'm demanded. You know what, how often I rely on myself to do this? every single time I get up here. Every time I get up here, I rely on myself to pull this off. You know why? Because I can, can present things. And I can talk to people nicely. And I can communicate. I'm thankful that the thing I get to do that with is the Word of God. But I rely on myself. If he and I switch positions right now, first of all, you'd all walk away once I started playing. You'd be like, this is dumb. I'm out of here. I don't know how to do this. I'm poor at this. But guess what? My reliance in this moment would have to be all on Jesus because I don't know how to do this. But I rely on myself and I go down the roads of where I'm wealthy and I should not. Because the world says, go to where you're welcomed and accepted and where you'll be the highest point on what you want to accomplish. What are you bad at? What are you poor at? 
I gave this message one before and a guy raised his hand and it blew me away. He said, I'm poor at my marriage. Oh. You know, not everybody's good at being married, by the way. Seriously. Some people are great at it. They're really good. They go on vacations. They do dinners with other people. They're great at being married. Other people are terrible at it. If you're poor at being married, that's right where Jesus wants you to be. He's going to come inside. He's going to help you with that relationship. Are you poor at anything in this life that you're like, no, I'll do all these things for Jesus, but not these. Guess what? Those not these things, that's what he wants. Jesus, true or false statement. Jesus was born and lived on this life with no sin. True or false? True. Guess what he was? Poor in sin. He didn't have any. And then out of the poverty of his life, the, the fact that he didn't own and collect any sin, he took all of it so that we might grow and have access to the Father. The greatest poverty experiment of all times is when Jesus, who knew no sin, took on all sin for us. We have to do the same thing. We have to pursue Jesus in this world by looking at this world and the things of this world differently. I would encourage you today to consider what you're poor at. By the way, I wanna make a statement versus people that are doing this and playing this stuff, they are excellent at it. I'm not asking you to do, get away with the thing I'm good at. What I'm asking you to do is stop avoiding those poor areas of your life and shoving them to the corners and saying, I'll get with that later. I'll deal with that later. Or God doesn't really care about that. Yes, he does. Because in the poverty of your life, when you reach down and you give out of that, oh man, Jesus stops everything and says, watch what's gonna happen right here. Watch, what hap watch what's gonna happen right here. This young man's struggling with addiction. He's really poor at staying away from it. He's gonna give it over to me. And watch what's gonna happen right here. Watch what happens when I show up and I take that thing away. The rich young ruler in Matthew 19 could not give out of his poverty. When, the, when Jesus said, sell everything you have, you don't need it, come with me. It was a literal call to come with him. He was making him a 13th disciple in that moment. You know why he couldn't walk away? Because he only wanted to give out of his wealth. I'll give you a bunch of money, Jesus. No, I don't want any of that. I want what you're poor at. Give that to me. That I can take and that I can transform this world with. I do know that creation is sponsoring a one day of service this summer or later on this fall, excuse me. It's called Day of Serve. Maybe that's something you want to do. Maybe you're going to say, I'm terrible at serving people. I don't know how to do it. Creation and I'm avail up in the tent, up in the booth area. I'll be up there after this. Come talk to me about a way that you can go out of the poverty of your life and give something over to who Jesus is. And I think it's going to be addictive. Once you start pulling out of your poverty, you just keep pulling. You just keep pulling, pulling, pulling. And he takes it and he moves with it. I pray that we are all a bunch of poor people who are constantly searching for our mites and the pennies to be able to give that to God and to amaze Jesus and see what he will do with it. Lord, bring us close to your heart. Now. Bring us to the space where you love us, that we know it, Bring us to the space, Lord, where we can ask, seek, and desire anything of you, that we would grow in the fullness of who you are. Spirit of God, come inside of us and allow us to hold fast to Jesus Christ. And as we do, we can ask for anything, and then we realize that if everything that we have or know about you passes all knowledge that we have. And then finally, 
God, fill us to your full measure. And not just for now. I pray, God, that the decisions that are being made in this courtyard area are affecting other generations. Brothers and sisters, this is not about you. This is about your grandchildren. This is about your great-grandchildren. It goes beyond just here. I pray that God goes with you in those spaces. Thanks for listening. See ya. Amen.